With 300-plus exhibitors and more than 50 conference sessions, NAB Show New York is designed to offer a new outlook on media, entertainment, and technology, so you can stay ahead of the field. Visit nabshowny.com and use code MP01 to save up to $100 on registration. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Married Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nicholas Rippold, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. One of the highlights of the fall and this year's New York Film Festival is the new film by Pedro Omoldovar, Pain and Glory. Our new September-October issue features an essay by Michael Koreski about the film and its fearless autobiographical story. Koreski writes, There has never been a clearer on-screen representation of the filmmaker's essence than the main character of Pain and Glory, played with exquisite middle-aged restraint by Omodovar's longtime muse, Antonio Banderas. To discuss the director and his beloved career, I brought together Koreski and Eugene Hernandez of Film at Lincoln Center in conversation. Pick up the latest copy of Film Comment, which also features an original article by Pedro Moldovar about his literary inspirations, and be sure to check out our Film Comment events in the New York Film Festival. Let's go to the conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. Uh, my name is Nick Rapold. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and this is our Pedro Omoldovar podcast on the occasion of Pain and Glory, um, which we were very pleased to talk about when it was in Cannes, and now uh, even more pleased that it's here at the New York Film Festival. Uh, and obviously, Omoldovar has a long history with the festival. Um, and I've gathered a, a, a star-studded group to talk about the filmmaker um, and also his, his uh, you know, career relationship uh, with uh, Antonio Banderas, um, starting with the, the author of our feature on Pain and Glory. Hi, I'm Michael Koreski, film comment contributor. And Eugene Hernandez. I'm deputy director here at Film at Lincoln Center and a co-publisher of Film Comment. Yes. And I mean, we can, Michael, do you want to just talk a bit about, you know, your sort of encounter with the movie and, and, and what, you know, what sp- spoke to you about it? I'm sure. Well, you know, very briefly, I just, just put it out there. I thought this was an extraordinary movie. Um, I think every time there's a new Almodovar movie, it's an event. Some perhaps are more overwhelming than others <laughs> in, in recent years, though I really loved the last film, uh, Julieta. But Pain and Glory is, um, seems to be him working at a very high level. Um, there's a high lo- level of craft, of course, because that's what we've come to expect from Almodovar. But there's something where he's plumbed, um, he's plumbed his own memories in his own life so deeply in this movie that it just it, it just jumps off the screen. I mean, I was deeply moved by this film. So very briefly, um, Antonio Banderas is playing sort of the Almodovar surrogate figure here, and I don't think there's really any uh, question about that <laughs> in the way he dresses and the way his yeah. hair is styled. He's clearly playing Almodovar. Mannerisms. His mannerisms. There's There are things in the apartment, in his apartment in the film, that are literally taken from Pedro Almodovar's apartment. He's wearing some of Pedro's clothing. He's wearing literally <laughs> some of his clothing. Um, and the transformation of Benderas into this Almodovar character is actually quite breathtaking. Mm. And 
Antonio Banderas is um, an actor that I've actually admired for a very long time. I've, I've, there, there was a period, I think, in American culture where he became such a big star that people started to take him for granted, or at least they cast sort of mm. some stereotypes on him, I think, like, like Latin lover stereotypes. I always felt like he was bringing so much to his roles because he has such a magnetism, and the way that he connects with other actors on screen is so singular. I just love watching him. Um, there's actually a, a, a series coming up, uh, Quad, that's like a retrospective of his, oh, yeah. of his movies, and I looked at the list of movies, and they said these are fantastic movies, actually. Um, so one of the great joys of this film is watching Banderas become this almost Almodovar figure and the way that he embodies the, the, the literal pain the, the, that Almodovar has gone through is a lot of health. He's had a lot of health problems yeah. and the movie is actually a, a lot about that and the way that Banderas plays that in such a subtle register is really, really moving. Actually, Eugene, um, you recently sat down with Antonio Banderas for a conversation at the Toronto Film Festival. And I actually have been wanting to ask you all about that because he, I think he's just an amazing actor. Oh, it was such a great um, opportunity to spend, you know, to, the opportunity to spend an hour and a half with someone on a stage, the opportunity to spend an hour and a half with an actor anywhere and just talk um, is exciting. Um, on a stage at TIFF with a full house with clips from his work and and really an opportunity to kind of just dig into so much of what he's what he's done but also where his head is at now um is really exciting and it was really revealing and i think one of the things that maybe is worth mentioning at just at at the outset kind of picking up on what you were just talking about michael is and and i know antonio has talked about this a little bit in in some of the interviews he's been doing but um had the for- the good fortune of being at the Telluride Film Festival the weekend before Toronto and and uh, was invited to a dinner and I sat across the table from Antonio with some other journalists and folks and and um, we were able to kind of have a, a conversation and kind of break the ice a little bit, get comfortable with each other, knowing that we were going to talk again um, the following week and then the night before, uh, the night before our talk, it was a nice Sony dinner that I think oh, yeah. a few of us were at and, and I got to talk to him again a little bit and again, just, just to sort of be prepared to kind of feel comfortable with this guy that we're going to spend you know, literally 90 minutes on stage. And it was actually at the night, the, at the dinner in Telluride, but then more explicitly at the, at the night before at the Sony dinner where he was talking, um, he was sharing with me something that he's talked about a bit in the press and that is just the the transformative effect, not surprisingly, that having a heart attack had on kind of his emotional state and the way he thinks about acting, the way he thinks about his career. And this was just a few years ago, he had this heart attack. Um, And he started telling me about this and kind of just trying to help me understand sort of his mindset and, and what, what, why the role was so meaningful to him. Um, Not just it being about this director that he has such a deep relationship with and has had at various points in his career and who discovered him, you know, um, but also that he could relate to some of the more um, just kind of essential elements of this performance, which are about like pain and aging and the body and, you know, these, these physical things that I think come across so, uh, so, um, so clearly in, in, in the film when you're watching kind of how he's portraying this character and the way he moves and the way he walks. Um, and I asked him, at the at that dinner i said you know is is it is it cool if we talk about some of these things and he said sure he said he would love to to really elaborate on that and so he we, there was a, a a chunk of the the conversation where we really just talked about that and ta- he talked very um 
kind of emotionally about sort of you know and, and movingly about how the how what he's been going through in his own life physically and and aging and having this heart attack how it really was like a reset for him it really reset his his thinking about his own career and how he wants to sort of focus himself and and the people he surrounds himself with and the work he's doing um, in building this um, this theater in Malaga the, where he grew up um, and this reset really came at a time that he was embarking on and, and immersing himself in this particular character. So I think for, for Antonio, um, not to try to speak for him, but just to kind of relate some of the things that he was sharing, I think that, that it's, clearly, it's clearly a role that means a lot to Pedro and it's very personal. But it's it's absolutely a role that that has very uh, personal stakes and very personal feelings for for Antonio as well. And so being able to really kind of think about that as I rewatched the film in, at TIFF um, it was a really kind of um, kind of eye opening way in to kind of thinking about what the movie's really about and, and what what's really at stake for both Pedro and for Antonio in this movie. Mm. Yeah, I think thinking about the relationship between actor and director director and muse if you want is, is a really interesting way to to, to get into pain and glory i just rewatched uh, law of desire this week in preparation oh. for this podcast that's always been one of my favorite elmodovar films if not my favorite elmodovar film i think the reasons for that are um, that i saw it at a very particular time in my life and it was kind of like a thunderbolt movie i think for a young queer person um and you know one can't forget just how rigorously queer and and almost shockingly um, full of life these films were and what that meant to film culture and what that meant to Spanish film culture especially in the 80s right um, so for Antonio Banderas to kind of be this um, uh, vessel for this kind of delivery you know is kind of an amazing thing I think it's something that's easy to forget especially like again because he became such a big international star but he really was the face one of he's one of the faces he's clearly um, maybe the the most prominent male face of Almodovar's career he's one of the amazing things about about him is that he was highlighting women and men and gay men very specifically mm -hmm. in Spanish culture people who had can you know for for many decades been uh, marginalized because of the Franco dictatorship and when everything started opening in the 80s the Almodovar the cinema of Almodovar was like this thing that they right it was like an export it was like look at the possibilities look at the colors look yeah. at the people look at the people who have been discredited for so long mm -hmm. and um and that's where Banderas comes from which is so interesting right mm -hmm. you forget that and and rewatching Law of Desire which is a very sexy movie it's a very sexy movie about gay men mm -hmm. and Antonio Banderas is just he's on screen so much of that film and he's often undressed and he's often you know in in scenes that depict explicit gay sex mm -hmm. and that's a really daring thing that he did in, at that time in his career and i think it's maybe easy to forget that it's a really good point and i think um you watch you rewatch love desire i rewatched um labyrinth of passion um on the morning of this talk in, in, uh, in toronto last week and um that is that is Antonio's first screen role, right? It, it's, it's a small role in the film. It's not like Love, Desire or other films where he has a much more dominant 
presence, um, but it's 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 his it's his kind of introduction to the big screen and his literally in his second in his first scene he like meets the guy on the street and the second scene he's already like half naked like they're up like hooking up in the guy's apartment and um and we talked about this we talked about these two films Antonio and I in this conversation because um, this movida movement that was that was happening in the eighties this post Franco uh, movement was so significant culturally to what was happening in Spain and a, and a kind of reflection and outburst of this of this time period and and i we were talking about this and i and i as antonio someone who's raised catholic um but who who came from a from an experimental basically an experimental theater background in malaga where he's from um he was very comfortable with himself with his with his own masculinity even as someone who who doesn't identify as queer he was very comfortable um, uh, embodying these characters and and pushing himself and also pushing the audience and pushing culture and and it was just like he 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 spoke of it as something that was very you know sort of rebellious and also like calculated and specific and intentional mm-hmm. and I think it, it it seems that we can we can see in in the way that he connected with Pedro just like this this immediate like you know, he talked about the first time they met and, and they just like, it's just one of those like love at first sight type things where they just clicked mm-hmm. and they were in sync and they just like dove into this period of, of collaboration together in which they each had to trust each other. Uh, but I think they also kind of each pushed each other. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a really interesting point that you make and that he, that he just very quickly became very comfortable with um, these roles that not only were adventurous for himself, but also were adventurous for a culture at that particular moment. Mm. You know? and, 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 and rewatching Law of Desire and I also rewatched Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown this week because I could watch that once a week. Um, And because it has a really nice new Blu-ray from Criterion. So it was the first time I got, I actually put it in the machine. I love when I open my Blu-ray and actually put it in the machine. It's not just a thing I have on my, on my shelf. You actually (laughs) watched it. I actually watched it. And my, oh my God, those colors. Um, But every time I rewatch a movie of his, especially from that era, Mm -hmm. Matador as well, which I really Mm -hmm. like. It's a tough movie. Um, It, immediately like sends me back to the to that moment and what it was like to actually watch those movies unfold because they don't play by any standard movie rules they have um references to other things right references to melodrama references to hitchcock um but the way that the the narratives unfold you really feel like anything could happen at any time scenes exposition scene could go on for a long time and then it could be followed by a really really quick brief scene people do outrageous shocking things and then somebody will respond to it with a shrug that's one of my favorite things about Emma. like shocking things happen and people usually go oh that's that's kind of crazy and then they move on to the next thing um i just really woman on the verge is a movie that um is like wall to wall with you know quote-unquote screwball things but the way that they unfold it's it's like it's a very matter-of-fact movie in a weird way everything's accepted at sort of a face value that just seems like kind of normal yeah yeah you know (laughs) everything from the way people look to the way people act to the way people speak Mm -hmm. how they speak to each other what they say to each other the things they do with each other and and the kind of reference to sex and drugs and sort of life Mm. um it's it's fascinating and it goes back to like a central humanity a central Mm -hmm. uh lack of judgment of people i think that's one and that's an incredible thing especially Mm -hmm. about um law of desire 1987 movie again um that's you know the the two there there are three main characters two of them are gay and one of them is a trans character. Uh, Car- Carmen Mora plays the sister, um, who's the who's a who's a trans character. And there's just this nonstop sense of not judging people in that film. 
It was I really, don't know how else to define it. Yeah. It's amazing to to watch these films now, and I think um, for me, the I, I, I don't know if this, you found this also, uh, Michael and Nick, but when when MoMA had the retrospective of Pedro's work a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, for me at least, that was kind of a the first opportunity to kind of rewatch a number of these films in a big screen context restored. Um, my my memory of a lot of these films before that point, and I'd watched a couple of them over the years, but my memory of them. Um, was actually on VHS mm-hmm. in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I discovered most of Pedro's work very much um, in the 80s and the whole, you know, in the VHS era. Yeah. Um, so there was something certainly meaningful and powerful to be able to watch and rewatch with friends on like late Friday or Saturday nights, a VHS tape, um, and kind of have a very personal kind of experience and a small communal experience with these movies. I didn't have a, a, a cinematic kind of yeah. bigger communal experience in, in a cinema with a lot of these movies. Some of them, yes, over time as this film's got wider release. Um, but but the experience was very small and personal. So then to watch like some of these movies like on a big screen, restored with the color, with the sound, like it's it, it kind of it's kind of shocking in a certain way, even more shocking aesthetically or even to kind of think back sort of, you know, where these movies, what they were doing at the age when I was like, you know, 20 years old watching these kind of in a, in a kind of like um, almost illicit way. Right. Like, oh, like, we've got these really cool tapes of these movies that like, you know, not a lot of people are talking about and watching and they're really like racy and, you know, I mean, it was like John Waters and Almodovar were kind of in parallel for me at that era. Yeah. yeah. Media Masters, Entertainment Elite, Creative Connoisseurs. Join us this fall at NAB Show New York to demo products, make new connections, and learn the industry skills needed for what lies ahead. Nearly 300 exhibits and 50-plus sessions on the show floor will get you up to speed on inspired storytelling, monetization, training, and trends, all complemented by several community-focused events set to expand your network. Visit nabshowny.com and use code MP01 to save up to $100 on registration. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Merit Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. I mean, you talk about uh, that. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was uh, also thinking about that transition from it's, it also kind of is, is where you are in your life. Or you're transitioning from like a VHS way of watching movies to <laughs> right. an adult theatrical way of watching movies. And when I first came to New York in 1997, um, I came to the closing night of the New York Film Festival and it was live flesh. so i talk i've talked on this podcast before i think about my experience of opening night that year which was the ice storm and that Mm -hmm. was that was a very important experience for me but talk about a different kind of film (laughs) closing night was this raucous hypersexual hyper um, sensual um, aesthetically amazing movie live flesh i didn't know exactly what was going on and i was invited to see like my uh, my cousin my older cousin invited me to see it she got me tickets and i was sat at the very top of avery fisher hall now david geffen hall and i was watching this movie unfold and i had seen woman on the verge and Law of Desire and a couple of their movies on VHS. Mm-hmm. So they were, like you're saying, they were more illicit. They were like secret films that you kind of watched by yourself in your room. Right. You got them from the library, maybe if you were lucky. And that was my case. But watching Live Flesh on the big screen in this huge, huge theater with a big New York crowd was 
a seminal event for me. I had the yeah. same experience with All About My Mother, and we're talking about the New York Film Festival oh, yeah. and the timing of of this conversation, you know, on top of the festival. Um, same thing on the in the very top of 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 Fisher. Um, All About My Mother was the opening night film, and um, one thing that I've rarely done. Um, but I saw that movie at the press screening earlier in the morning, and there was a screening and a press conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so moved by that film, and 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 can still remember feeling so strongly about what a what a not just a departure. I wouldn't. That's not even the right word. But what a like turn it was for Almodovar that that film, and sort of you know, we can see it now looking back wh- how it fits into his overall you know sort of filmography and what an important kind of mo- moment it was for him. Um, seeing that movie at the press screening and then going again that night for the opening night screening, watching it twice in one day mm-hmm. and the second screening being with this huge, like raucous audience um, in Fisher's. I mean, it, it's it's not always the best place to see a movie, but it can be a really exciting place to share an experience with an audience just because there's so many, like thousands of people in there, right? Um, yeah. was a, It's one of those like imprinted kind of, you know, experiences of kind of just New York cinephile culture that is happens to be connected to the New York Festival as well. And you're resurfacing a trauma for me because <laughs> to this day, the only, uh, during that period, and maybe even to this day, the only opening night of the New York Film Festival that I missed was all by my mother because I was out of town. Oh. It was 1999. I don't remember now where it was. Whatever I was doing was clearly not important, but I certainly remember <laughs> all about my mother because it's a masterpiece and I had to watch it at the Angelica with the other bums. <laughs> so I missed that amazing experience. You've, that learned, you you've learned to schedule your life accordingly now <laughs> yes. to make sure opening night is clear. Yes. But happily, three years later, talk to her oh. was also at yeah. Avery Fisher. Yeah. Now, David Geffen, I just want to make that clear to people what I'm talking about, <laughs> that gigantic theater. Talk to Her is my favorite Almodovar film, mm-hmm. actually. I know I said earlier, I think it was Law of Desire. Now that I'm sitting here, I realize it's Talk to Her. But I yeah. think those are, but they're, they're the poles. They're the two different poles of his career. That's, there's like mm-hmm. the, the outre, shocking, I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks, Almodovar. And then yeah. there's the, um, the more perfectly crafted constructed still with outre you know outre um uh content but kind of put together in the most perfect um shell that you can imagine talk to her i think i saw four times in the theater when it opened i was i'm i'm still kind of amazed that he pulled that movie off considering what it's actually about which i necessarily have to go into because i think it's nice for people to discover it i'm sure there are a lot of people listening who have probably haven't seen talk to her um what talk to her ultimately is about is a is very difficult Mm -hmm. subject matter Mm -hmm. it is so beautifully made it is so humane that um i don't know i I, when i think about that movie i get chills i I do too just hearing you talk about it because it is i think i can i can certainly speak about so many of his films as being his best but then when you talk about talk to her it's like no actually that's the best like that's the one like because when you it sort of it just all kind of comes together in a way and i think i think you know we won't know how this film this new film pain and glory will be looked at but i think it's it's one of those things when the first time i saw it and now that i've seen it a couple times it it's it's going to be up there somewhere yeah and you feel it you just feel that that what what's so strong about it i think i that's it's one of those movies where it really coalesces he he does he he does tend to have this way of making films, especially maybe over the past decade or so, where he's um, I write about this a little in, in the piece. Like he has like a fixed point, a narrative point that's at the center, and everything else kind of moves around in circles from it. Mm-hmm. And you have it takes a while to kind of get to what that point is. It's like an onion, um, 
And sometimes I can, in recent years, I've actually found that sort of difficult. I'm not going to lie. Like I thought I had a hard time with the skin I live in. I had a hard time with broken embraces. I felt like yeah. he's moving in such circles that sometimes, he, sometimes I miss the center. In this case, it really, really works. And it really crystallizes. It has a really fantastic last shot. Pain and Glory has an incredible last shot. And um, it's, one of the, it's, it's one of the shots where, okay, I see what was happening now. This is what this movie was. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the great things about cinema that really only movies can do. And the moment in this movie when you have that realization, it's kind of incredible. Like just to, have, just to realize what's, what's, what he's been moving you towards. And then you sort of realize that you've been carried to this final mm-hmm. moment that is such a revelation and, and really moving and really like insightful and yeah and simple what, and, and what, what a beautifully simple idea yeah. i know we're talking around it i think it hasn't <laughs> opened I, yet i think you're right and it is fun it's it's a fun uh, as with talk to her other movies it's fun this there's a there's a there's a there's, it's a fun opportunity to to just experience and realize what the movie is when you get to the end and i think and also a lot of people have compared this movie date and a half or all that jazz you know movies that are you know um autobiographical from the filmmakers and which you know go into their past you know it's very rare that we see one from a queer filmmaker and that is such a distinctly queer film Mm -hmm. um i think we had been talking a little bit i mean you know terrence davies Mm -hmm. has done it to a certain extent though he kind of cloaks it in in kind of um uh, dream and memory and mystery this is a little more direct there's um there's just like a, a, a central thing that happens that's kind of like his queer awakening, his gay awakening, mm. that's beautiful and moving. And, and I, I hadn't really seen anything like that on this scale before. So I think that's really worth pointing out. Yeah. No, I, I mean, just also just going back to a bit how sometimes you can feel so casual, certain stretches of it in sequences that you don't know where it's going to go in the next corner. And, and I don't know, I liked what you were saying earlier, Michael, also about like, you know, outrageous things happening and that kind of being part of the casual fabric of life. You know, I, I feel that's one way in which he kind of merges images and conversation and, and, you know, just how we relate basically, which is like these spectacular things happen to us, but we still just talk about them, you know, and that's how we convey them to each other. And the way that's all woven together in, you know, any number of his films is, is always something that's beautiful. And I think what people always, part of what people connect so intuitively to them and what makes them so, um, you know, um, I don't know embracing of the audience in a way there's an interesting in this movie and and again we'll have to with time we'll, we might be able to make even more connections to his other work or whatever he may do going forward but there are there are so many strands that that you can see in this film that that maybe were were explored in some of his other films even if even if not fully fleshed out and maybe not fully sort of uh clarified but i mean there's there's you know things involving uh, mothers and mm-hmm. and certainly parental figures and family there's there's so many you know themes around like sort of uh, his perspective on life as a kid and, and and you can see the kind of in the kid in this movie you can see him in maybe in bad education or in, in other mm-hmm. um, kids in other mm-hmm. in other movies uh, and certainly then you know the 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 ever-present you know kind of role of of cinema and kind of the role that cinema plays in kind of the way that that Pedro as an author kind of either processes his life but or also tries to figure out how to kind of express it you know to back whether to an audience or whether to the people around him people in his life um so it's interesting to see a lot of these threads sort of coming together in a way that 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 connects back to uh so many other films and with such ease 
you know i mean yeah. I, I really again i love going back and watching the early films what have i done to deserve this labyrinth mm. of passion like you were talking about eugene mm-hmm. um matador again just a wild movie tummy up tummy down which is a interesting movie that i <laughs> yeah. think a lot of people have some problems with but it's you know it's skillfully made um but the rawness and the raggedness and the kind of freneticism are really fun and it's it again it like shells you back to that moment and why they were important but i also really love the ease with which he makes his movies now i just i just he's a master yeah he's a master filmmaker and i it, sometimes people can critique that like oh i prefer the old crazy Elmodovar. i don't i don't know he's just right. so, he's he's so mainstream now which right. is ridiculous yeah, exactly. or yeah. he's you know he's become um he's too much part of the culture so right. you know his movies used to be more fun but that's this is what this is the progression of an artist yeah. this is what happens you yeah. master your craft and so you go to see pain and glory and you're never in doubt that you're in the hands of a master mm-hmm. the shots are going to be beautiful the construction is going to be smart. A lot of thought will have gone into everything. Yeah, Co- yeah costume. That's the way it design, is. Everything. Yeah. I know it's strange to think that you could say that people, to a certain extent, sometimes he can get taken for granted just because he's such a part of the firmament, basically. Um, but it's not like he's become like a complacent establishment figure. Right. You know, um, it's still so alive. Uh, and, you know, also, you know, comparing to like the background, like of the rest of movies, just the kind of general decline of any sense of like people's like carnal lives, not in like any illicit sense, but just mm. like as a body, you know, mm-hmm. that's something that fades out so much, um, almost by some like weird, like, you know, uh, inertia um, in mainstream movies. Um, but yeah, it's still alive and well, and in a painful sense here, obviously, because this is kind of partly about like the decline of, of the body. So going from like the, like the pure joy and release of a lot of the earlier films to, to this just kind of reckoning with with some with you know mortality in a way mm-hmm. um, but not again like like not in like this hoary kind of <laughs> yeah like you know i don't know this is this is his twilight years or something you know yeah you're right yeah. nothing's really underlined it's not, there there's there's a there is a beautiful late scene again it's something that i kind of referred to obliquely before but it has to do with his him seeing this body this male body it's and bathing it really looks like picasso the way yeah. that it really it's like the, the bather it's so beautiful it it actually it, it, it you know there's a stendhal syndrome uh, right yeah <laughs> thing that happens actually and it's like Which persuasive is, it's not just like a punchline i was just like because he because he actually is like i'm really going to try to convey the beauty of this moment yeah so everything went into that and it's, and it is and it is and it's in opposition with what we see in the beginning which is this this animated sequence which is actually beautifully done that yeah. goes into detail about the the um the strains and the stresses and the pain on his body as an older man so you have you do you're right you have these you have these pretty sophisticated ways of dealing with these dichotomies they're not underlined they're there for you to extract as a viewer it's very respectful yeah yeah um i mean we have a a couple more minutes i don't know if we want to um i don't know where we should go from here but uh i can i mean i can mention (laughs) i can just mention one more almodovar movie that oh yeah that i don't want people to forget yeah because I think that he, he made so many films and we can't cover them all, obviously, but the, a lot of them are at least worth a mention. I think The yeah. Flower of My Secret oh, yeah, is one of sure. his. I, yeah. I feel like it's an underappreciated film because it came at just that moment in his career where he was moving slightly away from the, the so-called, I'm doing air quotes, it's a crazy, crazy films. Right. Yeah. And so people started to think, oh, maybe he's moving into, you know, dollar territory. But it's such it's such a good movie and there's it's such a layered film mm-hmm. yeah and has a great performance marissa but, paradise but it's also interesting just talking about like crazy mold that's another way in which he, he he somehow gets cordoned off it's like oh it's him doing his thinking but like watch the movies you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. actually you know reckon with what what you're watching and it's it's still you know um i don't know just 
very emotionally invested and, and boundary pushing, not routine. Like it didn't become a routine. Yeah. So, I, I think know. for those of us for whom Emil yeah. Dover is an important person, he will always be an important yeah, yeah, person, definitely. important filmmaker. I don't mean to Hector. Like like he's going to make us change our yeah. minds. Yeah. No, and I think I think it will be it will be really revealing and interesting to. Um, for those who hear this before the festival happens mm-hmm. and who are able mm-hmm. to yeah. attend the on-cinema conversation. Um, I think yeah. to be able to listen to what Pedro has to say about his influences and the things that are influencing him now, um, you know, with the clips that he'll choose for this for this discussion with Kent, um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it will be really enlightening, I think, uh, as, you know, sort of where he is now, where his head is at, and, and the things that he's thinking about and the things that he decides to share. Yeah. Those conversations are always really illuminating, I think, beyond cinema, where you have an opportunity for an artist to kind of yeah. not just talk about their own work, but really talk about it in reference to the work that has impacted them if not influenced them and with someone like pedro some of those influences have been overtly in his films for a long time um but some of them also might be surprising and i think it's it's going to be a really um it's it's one of the events during the festival that i'm really most excited about yeah totally yeah and just related to that um you know that's within the realm of movies but um for this issue of film comment that's tied to the festival in september october um uh, moldova pedro moldova actually wrote a piece uh, about his books, book collection, and actually, I guess, texts text more generally, and that kind of segues into talking about screenwriting a bit. So it's really interesting seeing his relationship with, with the text and how that's just as like, sensual in a way as to the image. And I think it's yeah. worth mentioning also, just as we're really like exp- considering and, and yeah. exploring all of uh, Pedro's expression, ways of expressing, yeah. um, if you look at the poster that he's designed for this year's festival, oh, yeah. we're all Almodovar all the time yeah. <laughs> uh, this year in a, in a really great way and celebrating yeah. him in so many different ways. And he's sharing creativity with us in so many different ways. The poster yeah. is 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 connected to a recent show that he did at the Marlboro Gallery, um, which is just these right. still lives of kind of fading and dying flowers in, in different vases and different yeah. configurations. And when he sent, um, he sent us like four or five different poster uh, uh, options to consider and each with kind of a different set of kind of aging and wilting flowers but also like set in this in like such a beautifully colorful arrangement um and and he's 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 really he's really uh, exploring that that the what those flowers and the yeah. colors represent yeah. um and really uh, kind of i think thinking about how um in his fine art career how that what that kind of says as well yeah it's a beautiful poster yeah all right well much much to consider much to look forward to pain and glory world of art um thank you both for a wonderful discussion thank you thank you nick you've been listening to the film comment podcast with music by greg angie you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes google play or stitcher film comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the film society of lincoln center Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, Featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Married Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, 
and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. With 300 plus exhibitors and more than 50 conference sessions, NAB Show New York is designed to offer a new outlook on media, entertainment, and technology so you can stay ahead of the field. Visit nabshowny.com and use code MP01 to save up to $100 on registration.